I always told people, you know, whether you sign up for this or not, I'm going to give life lessons as part of every class at the end. And one of my main messages was, you know, you can do or be anything that you want, but it is going to require work and effort in order to get there. So don't ever give up on your dream. And the irony was I had completely given up on my dream. So we have a special episode for you today. We are not interviewing a health coach or client, but we've invited a fellow friend and current co-creator of a new project with Journey to Health, which will be rolling out in the fall of 2021. Journey to Health is partnered with Michael Macario, or Mac as we call him, for a special project specific to law enforcement officers, supporting them in their journey to health while in and out of uniform. Mac began his law enforcement career at a Metropolitan Police Department later in life after a successful academic and retail career. Mac focused on preparing recruits in academics, subject control and arrest, de-escalation and communication skills, as well as physical fitness and stress management. Mac became the county's lead mental illness de-escalation instructor and one of the leading contributors to North Carolina's crisis intervention team. Recently retired and sworn duty, Mac continues to train law enforcement at all levels and remains committed to increasing the safety and professionalism among all first responders. Now, doesn't he sound like the perfect match to lead this initiative with us? We are excited for you to hear his story. So listen in as you hear his passion behind why he wants to continue supporting law enforcement on their own journey to health. Let's begin. Welcome to the Journey to Health podcast, where we believe everyone deserves to feel their best and reach optimal health. Life is short and every day is a gift. So travel well on your journey to health. I'm your host, Sarah Shaw, and I'll be your guide on today's episode. Well, welcome, Michael, or AKA Mac, we like to call you, to the Journey to Health podcast as our guest. Thank you. It is wonderful to be here. Yeah. Well, you are a brand new friend to me and to Journey to Health as we are embarking on a brand new project at EHOP Health that's going to support police officers specifically. So any law enforcement officers, we are now trying to work on a project that really targets their journey to health specific to the challenges that they're dealing with. And honestly, as a health coach and civilian, I don't always relate to that. So we brought you on board as the expert, as the person who has not only the experience, but also the passion to lead law enforcement better, especially on the mental health wellness side. We brought you on our team to help us through that and collaborate. And I could not be more excited about that opportunity. I've loved getting to know you. So we're going to dig in soon to your journey to health as well. I am ready. Thank you. Well, before we begin, and I'll be done talking in a second, but I wanted to give you the word that I feel you represent, according to me. And it's two words, but they go together, where it is a compassionate warrior, where I know just from the line of work that you've signed up to be in, the guardian of peace, you know, the one who's fighting out there to be the hero but you do so in such a compassionate way. And that's just from the conversations I've had with you. And again, the passion that you have to see 
the police officers become better leaders and heroes and doing it with such a just gentle spirit. And that's a rare combination to have the balance of that compassionate side for yourself, for the people you work with, for the people you're saving. And then also that warrior side to be, you know, out there doing justice and getting things done. So the compassionate warrior is the word I have for you. Well, thank you. You know, it's interesting because law enforcement has gone through, if you look over the last two decades, a change in their ideology. So being a warrior, and my last 12 years were assigned to a a, a Metropolitan Police Academy as the senior instructor there. We thought we had to build warriors, people who could deal with the dangers that they were going to see, the level of violence. And if you think of it this way, if a person wanted to become an accountant, for example, they would go to four years of of undergrad school and then they probably would have some additional specialty training and then maybe apprentice at a firm. And then, then eventually they would get a chance to look at somebody's books or do taxes. The academy that I was at is the longest in the, in the state of North Carolina, and it's roughly seven months. To take a person from a civilian capacity with whatever their experiences were, and some of them so young, they literally had no life experience, to potentially have to take a person's life the very first call for service that they ever have. So how do you do that? What things can you change? And we realized yeah, we can make some physical transformations to them. We can make some academic changes so they understand the law and the policies. But more than anything, we can create a mindset that even if they don't know the answer or they're not 100% confident, they can at least act like they are until they figure it out. And the warrior became kind of the model for that until a little bit later when one of these organizations that's always kind of offering training for police put forth this idea of a guardian and said, just being a warrior and you know, basically being able to do what is necessary to, to get the job done is cutting uh, us short in what our potential would be. So this idea of the guardian came in, which we've really put forth probably the last five or six years, which is, yes, you can do that stuff, but you can also be that empathetic, compassionate person. A saying that I created when I was at the academy which is really, I think, the crux of what police work is, is be the best thing about the worst day a person's ever had. Like, why would a person call police to their house? Because bad things are happening. You may or may not be able to directly affect all of those variables, but you can absolutely be the best thing about that experience for them, whether you know, you have to take a family member out of that house and transport them to another place or stop violence from one person to the other or provide resources or whatever. So this whole picture has formed that really gives a greater understanding of all the things that police are required to do all the time. And it's much more encompassing. And I think, you know, the compassionate element just comes in there, even though there has been a period of time in this this country where police weren't supposed to represent that. They were supposed to be that kind of stern, uniform presence. And I think those days are gone. And most of the young professionals who gravitate toward this work really do embrace this all-encompassing idea of what it is to be a police officer. However, the one remaining issue, and, and, and I think it'll be a bulk of what we talk about, is this idea of caring for themselves. 
We do such an amazing job of policing our communities and the worst job of policing ourselves. You're a hero to everybody else except yourself, and you got to still show up for yourself. And it's not an easy job. There are so many things I respect about that occupation that I can't even imagine the pressures and the stress that comes about on that. And so I'm sure it takes a toll on people's livelihood, on their relationships, on their mental health, their physical health, all kinds of things. And I think that's where we see we're becoming passionate about targeting a specific curriculum for law enforcement, but you've been doing this for a long time. So take us back to how you got into not only maybe your own journey to health, which sounds like you've probably always been somebody that's passionate about you know, health in general for yourself, but why you want to take this to police officers and law enforcement to empower them to begin to take care of themselves. Absolutely. Well, I say that I got lucky. I, I sometimes call it cheating because the assignment that I had for the last 12 years, and, and first of all, I got to this very late in life. So I was in my early 20s, absolutely, after undergraduate school, I, I wound up getting a master's degree in sociology, criminology. And then I came down here and actually was pursuing a PhD at NC State and just realized I was doing it because I just couldn't figure out what it is I wanted to do and wound up having some Raleigh officers as students of mine. And they're like, you would be an awesome cop. And I had had law enforcement in the family and decided I really, yeah, it's time. At the same time, I was competing in uh, Olympic Taekwondo, which is the full contact Taekwondo stuff, and literally just destroyed my knee. It blew out. I had, over time, uh, close to 10 different surgeries trying to repair it. My first tryout was with the North Carolina State Highway Patrol, and they have a very rigorous physical test. It's not a pass-fail, but you are graded, and my grade was terrible. I could barely run. I could barely move. And so by, I was probably 23 at the time, and I literally just gave up on my dream. Like, I'm not going to be able to do it. So then I went into some other things, was a retail manager, big into customer service and things, and wound up opening a very successful martial arts school. Interestingly, your, one of your founders, Dr. Lawson's kids were students of mine. At one point had, I think, 275 active students in the school. Wow. Um, I always told people, you know, whether you sign up for this or not, I'm going to give life lessons as part of every class at the end. And one of my main messages was, you know, you can do or be anything that you want, but it is going to require work and effort in order to get there. So don't ever give up on your dream. And the irony was I had completely given up on my dream. <laughs> so I, I was doing really well. And now I'm 34-ish. And... It was absolutely clear to me that, you know, uh, that I was not living the things that I had said, but because of the time with the martial arts school, I had gotten myself back into really good physical shape and uh, went back to the patrol. Well, it turned out like I literally was too old to apply there anymore, but the Raleigh Police Department, there's no age limit. So believe it or not, we've had somebody uh, literally at 60 years of age attempt to become a police wow, officer. Wow, that's awesome. If you can do it, you know, then, then it's wide open. So I came home and I said to my wife, like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but like, what would you think about me getting into this now? And her knowing that it had always been my dream, she said, I will absolutely support you. Uh, and she really put two conditions on it. And I will credit her with my own personal journey to health and kind of coming out this end 
as healthy as I am. She said, number one, you have to stay in shape. If you are not a physically healthy and you cannot maximize the chance that you can return to us every day, at least in the shape that you left that day, then you got to stop. Number two, you're probably going to see some bad things. You've got to find some way to talk to me about it, even if it's not the same day. And I'm like, I could do absolutely both of those two things. And I, I'm happy to say through my entire career, absolutely abided by those, those two. I literally, my uniform size was the same the day I retired as it was the day that I graduated. So once I got in, went just running into it. And I'll tell you just as a personal story, how these things kind of go. So I go through my seven months, ironically, three days before I started the academy, uh, obviously we knew we were having a second child. I had a son at the time who was six and my daughter was about to be born. And we knew the timing was just terrible because the academy is paramilitary. You don't live there, but you spend every day and it's very rigorous. So my daughter was born three days before the first day of the academy. And we found out that she had Down syndrome the day after she was born. Wow. Not expecting that. We had had some genetic tests that all but dismissed that possibility because my wife was a little bit older. I literally didn't even know what Down syndrome was and showed up the first day kind of just in shock over everything. I had to leave the hospital to go to my first day at the academy, navigated it uh, best I could, but about three months in, and she she was in the hospital so much that like weeks at a time, I would leave the academy, drive to UNC hospital, stay overnight with her, shave and, and wash in their sink, and then go back to the academy the next day. About three and a half months in, I said to my wife, like, I can't do it. Like, I'm done. And she's like, you can't be done. You're like, this is all we have. So just shut up and get back back to the academy. Uh, and and was able to navigate it. And her health has has really been well. And, and she's developed beautifully. But she literally coincides with the time that I was there. So my personal health goals have always been tied to the responsibility that I have for, for my family. So I hit patrol heavy for, you know, the first five, six years. Oh, and, and, and my story is, so you get out of the academy and then you get assigned a field training officer. So uh, I get this guy who's half my age and I'm his first recruit. And I remember watching these stories on TV, like these old police dramas. And the guy's like, I want to go my whole career and never pull my gun. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. Like, I want to be so good at my job that I never have to pull the gun. So my first day on real police work, I'm in the car with him. He's driving so he, he can show me around. And we get a call about a motor vehicle collision. And we go to this, this mobile home park, which is mostly an older population. They're beautiful. Everybody has landscape yards. And, and one neighbor kind of pulls out and didn't realize the other car was there and hits it. And they know each other, but they need a police report. And they're sitting there drinking coffee and eating coffee cake. When we roll up and ask, would you like a cup of coffee? And, and I look at the training officer and he's like, yeah, you can have coffee. I'm like, oh, I'd love a cup of coffee. And they're like, would you like a piece of coffee cake? And I was like, yeah, because I, I didn't, I was so nervous that morning. I didn't even eat breakfast. And he's like, yeah, go ahead and have it. So we're sitting there exchanging information, doing, I'm like, this is the best job ever. <laughs> like people are so nice and the work is easy. And I already knew how to do the report. So as soon as we leave there, our second call is an armed robbery in progress. 
Five minutes later, I'm chasing a guy with a gun through the woods. My field training officer's gun is out while we're running. So I take my gun out. I'm in better shape because I just got out of the academy. So I'm running faster. And the thought occurs to me, I don't know what to do if I catch him. Like somebody should call the police, you know? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I am the police. So thankfully, a very experienced officer knows where that path comes out, drives to where it comes out and waits for the guy to come out. And then he gets him on the other side. So you You did have the police to come rescue you. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, I was like, wow, the second call for service. And I already kind of lost my vision of never pulling my gun out. And then then the rest was history. I just, I love the job. Got so good at it that literally the director of the training center said, you need to come to the academy. I had an academic background and, and, and I've always had an ability to whatever I enjoy to make other people not only understand the technical part, but have passion as well. And uh, wound up with the greatest uh, assignment ever and wound up putting 28 academies through uh, while I was an instructor there, average of about 30 officers per academy. So wow. at the moment, literally the entire patrol division that, that, that the department has has come through while I was an instructor there. And I feel like every one of them is my own child. Uh, you know, that's just how much I, I came to to care for all of them. But through that time, I think our biggest, this, as a staff, when they leave us, They are in the best physical shape because there's physical training every day. They know more about the laws. Their tactics are sharp. They have all the brand new equipment. And then one of the most, I I guess, frustrating aspects is what they do after they leave us is so much dependent on themselves. So within six months, some people would, we would see them and the buttons on their uniform were just stretched to the limit and you could see in their face at 23 with the shift work and the lack of food preparation and the junk food eating and trying to self-soothe with food or alcohol because of the stressful things they had seen that their health was just deteriorating at a rapid pace. There would be about, you know, a 10% that would just get better and better and embrace it. And there would be this 15 or 20% that just would fall apart. And then everybody else was kind of in the middle searching for the answer to make things better. And we were so preoccupied with the academy that, you know, all we can do was offer them some suggestions. The the irony is I've been retired now for just two months. The first week felt like vacation. The second week I started to get anxiety, like I, I should be doing something. And then as fate would have it, Dr. Lawson called and I'm like, well, I just happen to have some time. And you're hitting on that one thing that I'm just so passionate about. And my hope is as we proceed through with this project that I could say like, here, literally, here is a tool that will help you take it the rest of the way. Because I, I think people have a huge misperception of what officers are actually provided on a regular basis. Absolutely. Uh, it is, they are uh, remarkably by themselves once they leave the training academy. That's no good. We need these heroes to be tended to. 
you know? Yes. Such a fascinating story. I didn't know all of this background either about you, but hearing this one, shout out to your wife for putting those two standards on you, because I think that actually sounded like it gave you the clarity to know your why. Like I'm working and I'm taking care of myself for the sake of these people dependent on me. And that made you show up every day, taking care of yourself, doing your job well, and then coming back and providing with them. So she did a phenomenal job helping you share your why on that. But then two, it's like you're this natural educator, natural leader. You can tell everything you seem to step into, people want to follow you. Like you said, you have this natural ability to bring passion for people. And I think that a lot of that is you're able to connect, you're able to educate, um, which I think is something probably did it in your own dojo. You did it in any academy you walked into was people wanted to listen to you talk about it and teach them. And you just have this passion to see other people show up well. That's what teachers do. So I love the fact that you've helped improve so many programs within the agency on mental health and wellness. And now we're kind of transitioning. We're so lucky to have found you. It's definitely a match made in heaven. It was the right timing for sure to have you come on board and take this to the next level where, yes, we service civilians with our journey to health and they have certain topics and we have certain, you know, just across the board, general ideas on health and wellness, like everything applies to every person, but the police officers have a whole nother level of stress, a whole nother level of wellness and staying healthy, mental, physical, emotional. And I think that's where we're hoping to really show up for them and serve and with you leading that. One of the most uh, attractive things about this platform that just immediately hit me uh, and I'm just learning everything that it has to offer, but is really the three components. So a lot of times in the police world, we focus on things that we can see. So when we give them their uniforms in the academy, it's all about, we have uniform inspections every day. So you can see if your brass is not polished. You can see if your patches are not creased or your pants are not creased. And then you look at their physical abilities too. And unfortunately, the curriculum that trainers have in in most states comes mandated through the state. And it's always way behind in terms of what's available out there. We don't use resources. And I can't explain why, because we've had nutritionists, we've had functional exercise people, we've had counselors offer their services literally for free. And administrations will just say, no, like we'll do it ourselves. And we see the results of that because, you know, there's two startling statistics within the first five years after retirement, this like crazy large number of officers wind up dead mm-hmm. from that. Uh, you know, heart attacks and, and, and diabetes and, and cancers and things of that sort. And the other one is we, uh, so one of the rituals at our academy was, Whenever an officer would lose their life in the line of duty, they keep track of it on this thing called Officer Down Memorial page. We would read that uh, dedication, and it usually is the day or two after they, they, they had lost their life, so we can learn lessons from them. But it's estimated every year that three to four times more will take their own lives. Wow. Uh, an officer down doesn't actually report suicides. And those are just the ones that they kind of figured out officially were suicides. And there's another group that says there's probably a lot of, because like they, they had a vehicle collision and, you know, hit a tree and died, but they're not necessarily able to say, you know, it was a suicide. Well, 
what has happened to lead that person all the way up to that point where nobody in a profession where we read body language, we listen to verbal and nonverbal cues, we have investigative skills. Did we not see that that person was at that point in their life? A local jurisdiction, uh, Lewisburg PD, they're a small agency. Everybody knew everybody. And their chief was, was their thought leader, their people leader. Everybody loved him. And he literally scribbled out a bunch of notes to the people he loved. And then he killed himself with his own service weapon. And nobody saw it coming. And I've, I've had opportunity to, to talk to you know, several of the members of their agency after that happened a few years back. And everybody was devastated, but overwhelmingly felt guilty that nobody figured this thing out. Because again, we do such an awesome job until it comes time to, to look at yourself. Aside from the things you can see, what about the things that you cannot see? We can't make people physically strong. And if they have to wrestle with the suspect to get under control, great. But what about the fact that maybe you've never worked night shifts ever, and now you do, and you don't have any idea how to prepare food, for instance. So you just turn to all kinds of unhealthy, convenient options. What about the hidden stresses of sleep deprivation that you have and the extra duty work that you do? So on your days off, you're still in uniform and it feels like you're in uniform. And then you go to your first you know, horrible death call where you see a dead infant or you see a decapitated person and you're trained not to react emotionally to that. And the idea is not to react emotionally on scene, but it has translated into don't ever act emotionally about it, period. So where is that going? That has to go somewhere. So either people just keep it bottled up inside and, and then it results in those lifestyle diseases like cancer and, and heart disease and bipolar disorder or PTSD, which is rampant in the, the law enforcement community because we've never had an outlet for that. Uh, we don't have anybody to just simply, you know, say, God, that was just horrible. What did you think about that? Or they go home and they soothe with, you know, a gallon of ice cream, or they just eat until they can't feel anymore, or worse, uh, substances come into play. And I've seen several cases, both in, in our agency and others, where there's been a domestic violence situation with an officer, or they, they were uh, impaired driving. And that is just not a single moment in time. That is a process of things that have come into play that nobody ever put any sort of intervening variable in, and this is where they wound up. So in order for us to do, uh, literally survive as a profession, we just have to be much more proactive. We have been a very reactive business. So another great example, military has used tactical medicine forever like literally battlefield medicine when a person is hit in the field, we were really only introduced to tag med like three years ago where we started carrying tourniquets. Like literally we were being shot and stabbed in the field and we would just hold the officer there until EMS was able to respond. When we, we now realize, you know, well, we, we, could, we could pack a wound, we could put a tourniquet on. So it's one of those things where, after so many bad situations, somebody said, we, why, why are we not using this? Why are we not using resources around us? Because we tend to react, react, react. What I see with kind of the journey to health is an opportunity to put at literally from day one at the academy level, 
to change the mindset and the skill set and the heart set associated with self-care from completely holistically from you, all the physical things and, and the small changes that can lead to huge results because now you're carrying, you know, an extra 30 pounds on you all the time that you weren't ready for and dealing with stress and keeping your relationships right. And in, in this particular uh, evolution that we're talking about is even including the support people around you, your family members who can come along on this journey with you because they have been such an integral part of, of this journey you know, uh, forever. Aside from those two things that my wife, you know, was able to do, she was my sounding board when I was right in the middle of things. Sunday mornings, always a time for us, if the call volume is low, to get your squad together and have breakfast. And of course, one day I get this call and my, like, it's, I get on at seven by seven fifteen. I'm standing over a dead four month old who literally was killed by their father, you know, and the mother is wailing in the other room, you know, and just this agony that goes on for over a half an hour and they're restraining her because it's a crime scene and I'm not allowed to let anybody into the room. And so we ultimately close the door and thank, thank God for cell phones. I call my wife and I'm like, you know, she's like, well, how you doing? I'm like, well, you know, not good. And let me, let me kind of tell you why. And just that five minutes of time with her was the reason that I didn't carry that with me forever. And unfortunately, a lot of officers don't have just the knowledge of, you know, have that outlet, don't have the resources. We have so many folks that move here because they love this area of the country and the policing opportunities are so great. They come by themselves, they navigate the academy experience by themselves, they hit the field by themselves, and they don't know anybody and, and they have not, nobody to help them. So putting a platform in the place that just gives them these, these options to realize, number one, it is okay to care about yourself. Right. And as simple as that sounds, it is not a message that pervades through the first responder community. I can imagine not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we do, and I feel like this happens a lot in the health realm, but I hear this even in part of the academy is we train and we build up and we empower physically for everybody, but you're kind of on your own mentally and emotionally in some ways. And I think that's where you saw that gap that was happening where we're not teaching people how to have self-care. We're not teaching them how to deal with the stressors of this job, which just a few mentions of stories that you threw out there. I can't even imagine living with that type of trauma that they carry on forever. I think I, it might've been from you where you said, you know, regular people have a few traumas in their life that affect them and it affects our health and our entire life relationships and everything. Officers have what, 800 traumas that they experience? Countless numbers that come at a regular basis and varying levels of intensity. And even the mental health folks will tell you their understanding of trauma and its effects is still developing. Right. Because there was this idea that you had to be the victim of trauma and it had to be physical in some way. Then they're like, no, you really just need to be near the trauma when it happens or observe it. But what if you are literally charged with being the person that kind of creates order out of chaos and then you just see it time and time and time again? I have a lot of friends uh, who obviously are, are in the EMS, the, the paramedic business, 
And the same holds true for them. They're taught these amazing techniques and then they go out there and they have a few saves and then they get one that they think they did everything right and the person dies. Well, nobody teaches them necessarily how to cope with that. You know, so, and they keep losing people or they keep seeing, you know, this just tremendous physical damage all the time, but they have to be completely professional in their language and demeanor and the whole time. Same thing with officers, you know, people can throw whatever they want at us and we, we just have to just take it and be professional and make split second decisions under critical circumstances be literally the most transparent profession that's ever existed. Because if, if it's not captured on our own camera, if somebody is filming what we are doing and narrating that, accountable for every utterance of a word, every action, any weapon deployment. And then ultimately, uh, having had personal relationships with multiple officers who have been involved in critical incidences and shootings where they've had to take a person's life, literally having to live with the decision that they made, which affects them spiritually and emotionally and and physically, where they think about that every day, but they still have to go out and do the job again, realizing that it all could happen again. And I, I think the biggest thing that's happened over the last couple of years, obviously, has been this kind of social media, just the instant access to information, because one of the things we'll tell them is when things are happening, like don't don't look at social media and negative police stuff, but of course that's exactly what they're gonna do. So we used to say, all right, you know, and it was kind of a, a recruiting joke, but the hours are not gonna be good, the pay is really bad, like you're gonna haze your uniform, but at least people like you, you know, and that and so become a cop. And now we're like, well, not everybody likes you. So but what we found is that's really a small, un- but unfortunately loud, you know, kind of minority of people that are spreading that message. And I will tell you, I don't think that the key in this is that much of a secret. Over the last two to three years, when I've been in uniform outside, I have had more people come often bring their children and just legitimately say, thank you for what you're doing. I know this is, is a terrible time for, for you all. We just want you to know that you are appreciated. Those moments can literally carry an officer through the rest of their career when they realize that that is how people feel about them. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for fame. They're not doing it for any other reason but to serve the people. And every once in a while to have somebody just say, wow, you know, thank you for doing that. You know, we, we often get uh, delivered to the stations and the academy notes that were written by elementary school kids and so forth that are like, we love the police and stuff and always very spiritually uplifting. You know, you could see a physical change in officers when they are reading that. Early last year, a package was delivered to the academy and it was from a church where all the adults wrote letters. And I mean, some of the letters were three pages long about how important the police were to them and the realization for uh, the kind of work that they do and prayers for their their well-being and their family. 
And it had an amazing effect on everybody that read it. Some of the, the things that I read in there, I still remember almost verbatim now wow. because it was just wonderful to know that people were out there doing it. So I don't think it's a mystery on how to make it better. It's just how do we make it practical in you know, this, this incredibly busy lifestyle that, that officers are forced into where time and money are kind of their biggest resource issues all the time. We always said if we could buy everybody a gym membership and like a, a subscription to a healthy eating service or something and yoga classes, you know, after a roll call, even if they didn't want to do it, would probably see the effects, but that's just not going to be a reality. And it, it pains me to see people, especially those who are, you could tell they want help. They just don't know even how to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, hearing all this, I mean, police officers are human. They're humans who thrive on appreciation, who thrive on encouragement. They still have those emotions that, one, they're almost trained to suppress them. Like you said, for the sake of coping, they need to sometimes suppress things. But we're finding that just, I mean, they're a human being. They're going to process that trauma and that heartache the same way. And it needs to have this outlet, which hopefully our program can provide that. But I think even the peer support, having it was... You sh- you're probably very grateful you had your wife who could handle that and understand that and be that sounding board for you, which obviously not all officers have that, but having a place to process and a place to share and find ways to cope with all of this challenge on their emotions and their, their mental health. I know that you are so passionate about it and you've been involved in so many amazing programs and platforms that we are so excited to have someone like you lead the charge on this. And we really do hope that we can make an impact and create this ripple effect within this, this occupation that is so challenging and complex and deep, but we can make an impact by being that positive, proactive force and approach for not only health, but the way that they are compassionate warriors, you know, bringing that compassion piece is so important for not only who they serve, but then themselves, like that needs to be first. They have to find a compassion for themselves to show up and have that self-care and extend that to the population that they protect. So. I think even the most hardened kind of veteran officer, that compassion, that empathy is still there. It's just the experiences have kind of matted it down and they're looking for that chance to just release it again and, and remember the things that brought them to the profession because you do see so many terrible things and you're always there on, you know, like nobody ever calls because something wonderful is happening in their family and they just want to share it with you that day. <laughs> <laughs> so my kids are graduating. Can, can, can we have an officer respond? The rewards that officers draw are so intrinsic and emotion driven that it just doesn't take a lot of prodding to move them in there. And in my conversations with the kind of the pilot police force that we're doing this, this project for, one of the officers who has used the app, aside from just the logistics of what really worked well and what could be better, made a most profound statement, which was, I really felt this was one of the few times where like the agency was doing something specifically for me and didn't really want anything back. They just wanted me to be better, feel better, live better, be better. And and she has her goals that she set. She loved the coaching. She loved this this sense that there wasn't this, you know, 
here's the problem and this is why you need to do it or don't, uh, which happens to us a lot, like don't ask questions, just do it. But this is literally just something that we want for you to make you better. And you can see the buy-in 100%. And I think a large majority of the people who have devoted their, themselves to this in the first responder profession will feel exactly the same way. Yeah. These police officers are human. They want to be seen and heard without an agenda as well. So, and it's the same thing I think with most people is I don't want you to listen for the sake of an agenda or your process. I want to just be seen and heard for who I am and what I'm struggling with. And so we need to offer this to police officers because they're in such a critical position with the job they lead and their health to be those heroes. So I can't wait to see where this goes. I think we can change the culture of this occupation and really make a big impact to make police officers better than they already are and do so for the greater purpose. 100% agree. Yeah. So Mac, I know that a lot of the guys on the force come to you as their sounding board, as their confidant, and you relate really well to them. You're a very welcoming spirit. And I think they trust you. You take a lot of responsibility and a lot of pride in that role. And so I know that there's also another guy in your life that I've heard you talk about before, your son, who you are super proud of. And I know that I'd love to hear more about him and how he's following in your footsteps and how he's doing it in a way that right off the bat, he's just modeling what his dad did. So he's doing a great job of stepping into his position on the force and living a lifestyle and taking care of himself that is really necessary. And that's what we want other officers to do. So let me hear about your son, who I think is a really important relationship in your life. So thank you. My, my son, Garrett, he's 23 now. He's starting his third year with the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. Uh, he's thankfully is a trooper assigned to our local county. So much as my wife imposed some, some rules upon me, on uh, my entry to policing, we've imposed some on him. He's on permanent nights by choice because that's when the action happens. So he gets home at 4 a.m. and he texts us every time he gets home so we can sleep well and make sure that you know he, he made it safe. And then when he gets up, we debrief uh, his shifts every day. And it's, it's I can't, I, I'm not saying it's non-negotiable, but it, it's definitely strongly encouraged. But luckily he still... Uh, looks uh, to me for that advice. I learn from his new experiences. He challenges me with some things that have happened. And I find myself split between the role of a trainer who is just so amazingly proud of what he does. And then the dad who, you know, frankly, was not prepared for the stress of being the parent of a police officer. So now I know what my wife experienced, all the night shifts that I was away and, and you know, she wondered what, you know, what's, what's happening out there. And he's, he is such a go-getter. He was top five in DWIRS in the state last year. He's uh, set goals this year that are even beyond that. And he's, he's crushing those goals. Is thankfully, I think the benefit of a lot of the mistakes that I had made. So he, he's just hitting the ground running. He's committed to his fitness he has an eating plan, a sleep schedule. Uh, he's very routined, always uh, is concerned about his uh, holistically about his health from top to bottom. Even last year, he said, Dad, you know, now, you know, I've got the work part right. I've got the fitness part right. I, I need to get the next level of balance. So he's kind of searching for that relationship in his life now because he's so structured. He just has to, to do things at his own 
own pace, but he uh, is just absolutely amazing. I bet he's following in uh, your footsteps and you've laid out an amazing path. I know he's choosing his own, but um, to watch you model it. And it is kind of cool that he's probably learned by watching some things to avoid, but now it's almost like you're now watching him learning things and applying it to your own (laughs) lives. That's exactly right. I believe that I ultimately will learn as much from him and his experiences as I was ever able to pass on. And it's a wonderful experience for our whole family. Yeah. I always wish I could parent first and then go back and live a young life (laughs) because you (laughs) learn so much about life as a parent, but that's not how it works. We mature and we learn life as we go. But I also know with your daughter, it's, it's a cool combination that you've had with a son who's really kind of structured and taken on this life of policing. And then you also have your special needs daughter. And that's such a gift for you to be able to lead the officers and knowing how to handle somebody with special needs, right? Well, she has been a model for us. Her name is Lainey. Uh, she has been a model for us really from the beginning as, as we've come to understand and become embedded in the special needs community. Not that I ever think her behavior would rise to the point where, you know, the police would need to be involved, but there are times where they are lost or uh, confused or in crisis, maybe at school and an officer would have to respond. So she is my template for how I think, how would I want an officer to handle her if she was in need of, of, you know, a first responder? What level of compassion, what level of empathy, what level of understanding could they could they relate to her? Uh, could they have some understanding of, of possibly the fear that she's going through? So she has served in that capacity as well. And then she has, you know, her big brother who is just sort of the first layer of protection that's always uh, uh, looking after her. And, uh, you know, I, ha- I had a goal when they were both very young that all the officers kind of in my agency would know who both of them were. And, and I've managed to accomplish that. So awesome. they can't go anywhere in public where one of our, our officers doesn't know one of them is. Yeah. You've set that up perfectly. What an awesome family. And you're so right. It's our understanding of putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes. That's going to heal a lot of things or just having the perspective of what's going on in this person's life and how can I empathize and listen and have compassion and just be present. And you've done so well with training your own children to do that, your family, and then also extending that out to the force and the guys that you lead. It's been a blessing and a, and a privilege for me to, to be on this journey. And uh, along with your team, I'm just excited to see what we can do next. Well, thank you, Mac. What's one great way to support law enforcement from our end as civilians? I think just something as simple as when you see an officer in public, especially the ones that don't look approachable, there is a reason why <laughs> something has happened uh, that yeah. has made them have just thanking them for their service. It it goes miles. You don't know that person literally could have just swept up body parts on the side of a road and then just went to a coffee shop just for a moment and we are just trying to process all of that. And then you just walk up and just say, I just want to say thank you. Literally could change the course of, of everything for that person. Just something as simple as that. Yeah, that's so good. Such a good reminder because I do always feel when I see somebody in uniform, either through our military or police officer or firemen, I'm compelled, like immediately my spirit wants to thank them. I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful for these people, but I don't always have the courage to go up and say it. 
because I'm like, oh, I don't want to interrupt or I don't want to get in their way or they're probably working on something. But now you kind of gave us permission and encouragement to do that. We don't make it easy. Uh, Some officers have a presentation of themselves that seems very closed and some won't take their sunglasses off because they don't really want you to look in, in that deep. Some of them physically appear closed, but I will tell you that is the product of their experiences, not their heart. And those moments can absolutely open that up. I've I've been privileged through the academy, and then we also do regular officer training, and I've trained at many other agencies throughout North Carolina to really see what's in the hearts of people And just like you said, like they are just human beings that crave the same things that everybody else does. They have just chosen a path that frankly, not a lot of people can really walk effectively. Some literally reach the field and and then decide I can't do this job after one or two bad happen. And then the rest of us just kind of figure it out as we go. But everybody reaches a point where they, it just is so overwhelming to them that it, it drastically alters their existence going forward and to kind of congregate to one another. And even in their off times, those just simple moments in time where we realize that people do have appreciation can make all the difference. Yeah. Us putting ourselves in their shoes and seeing it from a different perspective could make a world of difference, right? And personally, my biggest emotional hurdle at this point in my life is, you know, I have been responsible for these kids to chart their path. And many of them will call me when they see their first horrible things. And I'm, if they don't have the person like I do, I will be that person for them. Literally an hour before we started talking today, I was on my, I, I'm on a, my, my daily bike ride and one of them called me because they had seen something. And, and I've said like, just because I'm retired doesn't mean I'm retired. You can call me. And they had a particularly difficult incident and they wanted my opinion about it. And I always end every conversation with, I love you. And, you know, thank, you know, I'm always here for you. And my biggest fear at this point in my life is I'm not going to be that person anymore. So just fate bringing this together where, you know, every moment I'm in the journey to health, platform, I'm like, I just have this renewed sense of purpose for what we're going to be able to do to make, I I already saw it, one officer whose life is better now because they use that platform. And, you know, hopefully in a year from now, you know, that'll be numbering in the hundreds and then, and we'll just just keep going from there. Yeah. We want to impact people for their health, but there's a place for us to be in the law enforcement area. And so I'm, we're so privileged to partner with you and bring Journey to Health to this place. And we know it's going to make a big impact. It's going to be this ripple effect that's going to change the culture. We know it. All big movements start with just one. one that's small right. Vehicle. One small, we're going to believe in that one small step. Well, thank you, Mac, for your time. I think we should probably have a part two someday because there's probably so many good stories in there and things that we're going to be doing on this project as we evolve through it. So look for maybe another invitation from me in a couple months on the podcast. Uh, I'm always available. Thank you so much for, for letting me share. Absolutely. Thanks, Mac. Thank you for joining us for this episode. 
You can follow us online at journeytohealth.com slash podcast. There you can access the show notes and learn more about our guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Your Journey to Health. We hope that this story inspired you to launch into or maybe even continue on your own journey to your best health. If you're looking for a health guide to support you, we have coaches who would love nothing more than to walk alongside you. Just visit our website to learn more about Journey to Health coaching program. Until next time, travel well on your journey to health.